Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. The 100th Psalm concludes a series of psalms that began in Psalm 91 that look ahead to the coronation of Jesus. And that's going to be a time when the world is going to be filled with righteousness and where men everywhere will exalt the name of the Lord. His glory is going to fill this earth. Now I realize that those times are future But there's an application in this psalm for us because literally the title of this psalm is a psalm of shouting. A psalm of shouting. You know, when it comes to praising God, and especially we sing these songs of praise, we just need to sing with all of our hearts. I looked over during the offertory song this morning, and folks right over here were smiling at me because I was singing along and I was getting this little message, we can hear you. That's all right. But anyway, we just ought to sing loud and to praise God's name with shouting because it's a plea to the readers of this psalm to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, that's what we need to do when we come together to worship God and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Now this coming Thursday, and you're well aware of it, we're going to carry out a tradition that is as old as America. In 1621... After a year in which almost half of their number had died of starvation or of disease, the pilgrims set aside three days in December to thank God for a bountiful corn harvest. Even after all of their difficulty, they thanked God for what He had done for them. In 1789, President George Washington proclaimed November 26th as a national day of thanksgiving unto the Lord. Then in 1863, Abraham Lincoln revived the tradition of giving thanks unto the Lord. And then in 1941, the United States Congress decreed that the fourth Thursday in November was to be declared as a holiday, a day to give thanks unto the Lord God. Now I understand that Thursday is going to be a busy day. Families are going to gather together. And it's going to be a day when after gathering together, they're going to eat too much. They're going to get sleepy. They're going to sit down and they're going to probably watch football on television. And the most important thing about Thursday is going to be most people won't have to work. But it's going to be a day when the family just comes together. They don't have to go to work. But folks, I hope it means more to us than that. I hope it means a whole lot more to us than that. May we never be guilty of waiting until Thanksgiving, of waiting until this time of the year, to offer our thanks to God. You know, we ought to be thankful to the Lord every day. In fact, over in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, it tells us that God's will is that in everything. Now, that doesn't mean we thank God for everything that happens. You know, you have a debilitating illness. It's hard to be thankful for a debilitating illness. But in the midst of that, okay, because that's what it says, it says in everything. And that word in has the idea of a circle with a dot in the center. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God's will is that in everything 
And I believe every day that we who know Jesus Christ the Savior, we who are God's, would be thankful unto Him and for what He has done for us. And yet too often we as God's people, and especially we as Americans, have you ever noticed how ungrateful Americans seem to be sometimes for God's blessings? We take them for granted. There are people who will not have the kind of meal that we're going to have today, and there are people in this nation who will not have the kind of meal that we're going to have Thursday. And they go hungry. And we don't think about those folks. You know, we've got what we need, and so we don't oftentimes don't think about those folks. And yet we tend not to be grateful to God for what He has done. Children many times are ungrateful to their parents for what their parents have done for them. And people are just ungrateful toward one another, and we are ungrateful toward God. But then we come to scriptures like the 100th Psalm in which we find not only a call to be a thankful people, but we find the reasons that we should thank God for His goodness to us. First of all, we ought to thank God for, in verses 1 and 2, our entrance into His presence. Our entrance into His presence. Do you realize that we have come into the presence of God this morning? We are in His presence. We can go to His presence daily. The Scripture says that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace and find grace to help in time of need. We can come to God on a daily basis. So the psalmist begins this psalm by issuing a call to praise and a call to worship God, and he tells us how to come into God's presence. In fact, the 22nd Psalm says that God inhabits the praises of His people. So you want to just have some good fellowship with God, you just start praising Him and thanking Him for what He has done. But here are the manifestations of the presence of God. By the way, listen fast. I've got a lot to say, and people want me to get through early this morning, okay? So listen quickly. But first, the manifestations of His praises bring us into His presence. He says in verse 1, Enter with shouting. Now I know we're Baptist folks, and we don't like to shout, right? But folks, why are we so quiet when it comes to praising God? Why are we so quiet when it comes to thanking God for what He has done? Make a joyful noise from the Hebrew literally means give a shout. Hey, if you're thankful for what God has done for you, don't be ashamed to tell people what God has done for you. Don't be ashamed to talk about what God has done. Vocal Praise of the Lord may be out of fashion in our society today, but folks, it's still good in God's economy. It's still good as God does things. Declaring our praise for God glorifies the name of God. and We ought to just go out into this world and tell people what God has done for us. May God give us a shout in our souls that will come out through our mouths and when we deal with people on a daily basis, we'll tell them about our God and about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he says, enter with service. See, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. You know, 1 John, we've been studying that on Wednesday nights. 1 John says that His commandments are not grievous to us if we love the Lord. His commandments are not a burden to be borne and carried about if we love the Lord. In other words, we're not to allow our labor, our work for the Lord to become a drudgery to us. It ought to be a joy. It ought to be thrilling. It ought to be exciting to work for God. The word gladness, enter his courts with gladness, literally means mirth. It literally means joy, that we should come into his presence with joy. I get to serve God. See, you know what I enjoy about Sunday morning and about Sunday night and about Wednesday night? 
I get to preach God's word, right? I get to share God's word. I get to share what I have studied and what I have prepared. I get to serve God, not only on those days, but on any other day. And instead of seeing it as a chore, we ought to see it as a blessed privilege that I get to serve God. See, the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said, we love verses 8 and 9 of the second chapter of Ephesians, and we ought to, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But don't ever stop there. There's a tenth verse. It says, for we are his workmanship. We're God's workmanship. By the way, that word workmanship has the idea of epic poem. Epic poem. Did you ever think of yourself as a child of God, as God's epic poem to the world? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has created us and God has saved us to work for him, has saved us to live for him. And so our obedience to God is an expression of our worship of God. By the way, worship and service are virtually the same word. They mean the same thing. You say, I'm going to go to church and worship God today. Well, I hope you do in your hearts. But you know what we're really doing here? We're getting our batteries charged. We're going to worship God. We're going to praise God. But we're going to be with people who love the Lord, who love His Word, who want to serve Him. We're going to see that there are others like us. We're going to get charged up and we go out into the world and we obey and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us that we show our love for Him by our obedience to Him. He says, if you love me, this is John 14, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, just do what I say. If you love me, just obey me. So we enter with service, we enter with shouting, and we enter with singing in the end of that second verse. He says, come before his presence with singing. That word literally means a ringing cry as we come into God's presence. And we sing these songs that we've been singing this morning. There ought to just be a ringing cry from our hearts, from our souls of praise and of worship of God. A great way to exalt God is singing His praises. Now I believe, and I think I can back it up scripturally, the preaching of the Word of God ought to take precedence over everything else. Preach the Word. That's what Paul told Timothy. But I tell you what, there's a great place in the worship service for singing songs of praise and of worship to God. Psalm 68, 32, sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth, O sing praises unto the Lord. In the 40th Psalm, David declared his salvation and he said it gave him a new song of praise unto God. We ought to sing praises to God. We ought to shout praises to God. We ought to live praises and worship and service of God. So there is our entrance into his presence. We come into his presence. But then in verse 3 there's enlightenment concerning his person. See every time we learn a new truth about God it ought to just create more praise in our hearts for God. See, we ought to be learning about God. You say, well, I know about God. God's eternal. God created everything. God is love and so forth and so on. And, and I know all these No, we need to learn more about God. What is God's chief characteristic? His holiness. God's holiness is His chief characteristic. Yes, God is love, but God is holy, and His love comes out of His holiness. But may we never fail to be amazed at the person of God. You just think about God for a moment. Doesn't it just fill your mind to try to think about God for a moment? See, the main thing we don't understand. Well, I don't, there's a lot about God I don't understand. But God's eternal nature. 
Because we don't know anything else that is eternal or anyone else that is eternal. Everybody that we know and everything that we know has a beginning, has an ending, and our minds cannot comprehend the eternal nature of God. Somebody says, where does God come from? God always has been. You say, you believe that? Yes, I believe that. Why do you believe that? Because the Bible says so. That's why I believe that. <laughs> because the Bible, the Word of God says so. And somebody says, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's your problem, you know. You don't believe that. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, the book of Hebrews says. If you're going to come to God, you've got to believe in God. You're not going to come to somebody you don't believe in. And so never cease to be amazed at the person of God. Let's learn all we can about God and let's rejoice in everything we learn about God. There's a word in God's word about his power. There is the creative power of God. Say, so how did the world come into existence? God spoke it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then we read what I refer to as the reconstruction beginning after about Genesis 1-2. After Lucifer cast down out of heaven and created havoc upon this earth, and it's in an unsettled state in the first couple of verses of that first chapter of Genesis, and then God begins to put things back in order because God is a God of order. He just begins to put things back in order. But how did he do it? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, can you speak anything into existence? No, you can't. There's the creative power of God. How did God do it? He spoke it. That's great power, folks. He spoke it, and it happened, and I believe that. I don't believe what the evolutionists say, never will believe, never have believed what the evolutionists say. God spoke it, and it came into existence. But I'm going to tell you there's something that I think is so much better greater than God's creative power. And you know what that is? That's his recreative power, okay? God's recreative power. What are you talking about, his recreative power? Here we were marred by sin. Here we were separated from God, going away from God, enemies to God, as the Scripture says. And what did God do when we turned to him in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? He saved us, and folks, he remade us. He created us. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God, you're different than you were, or you ought to be different than you were before you were saved. See, a child of God's got two natures. He's got that old nature. God didn't get rid of that old one. He just gave you a new one. And you've got to feed the new nature to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth. But that's God's recreative power. That's what he has done for us. And just the fact that his power is revealed in the creation ought to be enough for us to praise him. But then you take that and you look at how God took hell-bound sinners and saved hell-bound sinners and cleaned us up. I'm going to include all of us here that are saved, okay? And cleaned us up, created us in the image of his Son, secured for us a home in heaven, and lives through us by His Holy Spirit. Folks, there's a reason that we ought to praise and we ought to glorify God. Amen. There's a word about His purchase. The psalmist says we are His people. We are His people. You know, I've said before, I'm proud to talk about my parents and to name them. I'm thankful to be of their lineage. But there's a lineage that's greater than that, and that's being in the lineage of God. Over in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, talking about Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. By the way, that doesn't mean odd. You know, I know some of God's people are odd, right? That's okay, we are. Some of the oddest of God's people are preachers. 
but it doesn't mean odd here. It means a particular, a purchased people. And purified unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We belong to God. You know, a lot of times we as God's people will say, well, it's my life. I'll do what I want. No, if you're saved, it's not your life. 1 Corinthians 6 says we're bought with a price, and the price of our purchase is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We do not belong to ourselves. We cannot say it is my life by virtue of the fact that Jesus paid the price to redeem us from our sin. We were sold under sin. We were in the slave market of sin. Jesus bought us, paid the price for us. We belong to him. Three words in the New Testament are translated redeemed. In Revelation 5, 9, there's one that literally means to buy in the marketplace. It's talking about purchasing a slave right off of the auction block. Jesus paid the price for us that we might go free. Then there's a word in Galatians 5, 9, which means to take off the market. See what happened when Jesus bought us and paid the price for us. We're no longer up for sale. We're no longer on the market. We're no longer on the auction block. And then in 1 Peter 1.18 is a word that means to release after the payment of the purchase price. And this has a picture of one who would buy a slave. And you know what he did when he bought the slave? He gave that slave his freedom. He paid the price for the slave. He said, you're free, go. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us, folks. He paid the price. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. May a child of God never say, the devil made me do it. Devil cannot make you do anything. You know why you sin against God? You choose to. That's it. And whoever we choose to follow, that's whose servant we are, that's whose follower we are, the Word of God says. So we have a freedom as a child of God, but it is a freedom to serve God, not to sin against God. And then there's a word about His provision. The verse reminds us that we are under His protective oversight as the Good Shepherd. God has promised some things to us that ought to encourage us to glorify His name. We have His presence. Jesus said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Isn't it wonderful to know whatever comes, whether it's the middle of the day or the middle of the you night. Know, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes. I don't know whether it's age or pastoring or both, okay? But I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes. You know what I do? I talk to God because he's right there. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is always with us. If you're saved, you're never going to be unsaved. You cannot lose that salvation. God is not going to disown you. You can't run him out. Satan can't take you away from him. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, he will never leave you. He gives us his peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Aren't you thankful for the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the peace of God? I was having some trials just this week, some things going on. You know, you all know my mind. It's okay, I preached on worry two weeks ago and I hadn't gotten over it. The worry, not the sermon, all right? But there were some things troubling my mind and so forth, and I prayed and I prayed hard about it. And you know what? There's just peace. I don't know what's going to happen, but there's peace, okay? It's God's peace. It's the Lord's peace in our hearts. And aren't you thankful that he gives his peace? And then there's his provision. The apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, my God shall supply all your need in Christ Jesus. You cannot think of a thing that you need that God can't supply. Now we may think of some things that we want that God says you don't need and he doesn't give to us. But there's not a thing that you can think of that you need or that we need as a church that God cannot supply. And all of that is summed up in these words. 
the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what the psalmist was saying? The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. I've got God. What else or who else do I need? And so when we start thinking about these great truths, they give us a reason we ought to glorify God, we ought to praise God, we ought to worship God every day, not just in November, the fourth Thursday of the month. And then finally, there's the expression of His praises. There's three means that we do employ when we praise God, when we worship God. And they're listed in verses 4 and 5. Praise ought to be visible. We are to come before His gates, the Scripture says, and to come before His courts with praise. Again, come into the presence of God. When are you out of the presence of God, by the way? You're never out of God's presence. See, even in the darkest of night, in the most private of places, God is there. If you are a child of God, you are never alone. We sing that song, never alone. If you're a child of God, you're never alone. You say, boy, I sure wasn't alone. No, you weren't alone. You had Jesus with you. You had God with you. So you were not alone. We're to come before his gates and his courts with praise. And that's not saying that needs to be done in a corner. See, when Jesus was talking about prayer, that's when he said, go into your closet. Sometimes we need just that private time of prayer with God. But he wasn't talking about praise. He was talking about praying. Our praise shouldn't be done in a corner. It shouldn't be hidden. Our praise ought to be open. It ought to be visible where everybody can see it. There should be no shame attached to our worship of God. I'm proud for people to see cars parked out here in this parking lot on a Sunday morning. I don't mind people seeing me walking in here on a Sunday morning to worship God and to praise Him and to preach His Word. And there's nothing wrong with true, genuine, Holy Spirit-led praise. Dare I say this again? I'm going to. (laughs) You know that. (laughs) Folks, I'll say again, to a great degree, we as God's people, we as the Lord's churches, have let the charismatic movement run us off from the Holy Spirit. He's real. He says, I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Well, you need to be saved then, okay? The Holy Spirit is real. He inhabits you. He inhabits me. He will never encourage us to do things that are foolish, but He will always lead us according to the Word of God. And we need to have the discernment to know which is Holy Spirit-led and which may be led by our flesh and led by our emotions. But when the Holy Spirit leads, we should never, ever say no. There's nothing wrong with a genuine Holy Spirit-led praise of God. Our praise should be visible. Praise should also be vocal. In verses 1 and 2, again, the psalmist used the word noise to talk about shouting and singing. We have a vocal praise. You say, well, I'm just going to be a good person and live my life. Not say anything about the Lord and that will be my praise to God. No, God says you need to speak up. God says there needs to be a vocal praise of Him. You cannot sing. You cannot shout silently. Okay? True praise to God is going to reveal itself. It's going to come out of our mouths. It's going to come through our lips. It's going to show in our lives there's nothing wrong with being vocal in our praise to God. And then praise should be volitional. Look at verse 5 again. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. God is good and He is faithful. His truth is going to stand forever. And when we know that, we ought to say, 
I'm going to make a rational decision of my will. That's what volition is. I said something in Sunday school class about preachers sometimes get to using these theological terms. Volition is will. And it, we just ought to say, you know what? I will. I've made up my mind. It's based on the Word of God. And when we start to do things like this, they ought to always have a scriptural basis. I've made up my mind. It is based on the Word of God. I am going to praise God. I am going to worship God. I am going to lift up Jesus Christ. I am not going to be silent about God. I am going to praise the Lord for who He is. And I am going to praise the Lord for what He has done for me. Praise Him. Praise Him because He is God. Praise Him because He loves you. Praise Him because you love Him. There are so many reasons we ought to praise God, to thank God, to worship God. And we ought to do it every day instead of waiting to one special day in the year. I want to close with this. It's a good example of praise. It was seen in the prayer of an elderly child of God at a prayer meeting one night. And he said this, O Lord, we will praise Thee. We will praise Thee with an instrument of ten strings. Some of the folks in the congregation didn't quite understand. And he continued, We will praise Thee with our two eyes by looking only to Thee. We will exalt Thee with our two ears by only listening to Thy voice. We will extol Thee with our two hands by working in Thy service. We will honor Thee with our own two feet by walking in the way of Thy statutes. We will magnify Thee with our tongue by bearing testimony to Thy loving kindness. And we will worship Thee with our heart by loving only Thee. And then he said, we thank thee for this instrument, Lord. Keep it in tune. Play upon it as thou wilt and ring out the melodies of thy grace. May its harmonies always express thy glory. Isn't that wonderful? He said, we're just going to use our bodies to praise you, Lord. Is our praise of God up to par today as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ and as children of God? Oh, folks, we have so many, so many reasons to praise God. Lift up Jesus Christ. Praise God. Thank Him for what He has done. And do it every day.